Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, plenty to get to in this week's episode. We're talking ASU football, ASU basketball, and we'll even talk a little ASU baseball as the Sun Devils received a visit from one of the program's most prestigious alumni, Barry Bonds, on Tuesday evening. But first, we'll start with the football program, Midway Point of the spring for ASU. The Sun Devils held their eighth practice on Wednesday morning. It was the first practice that was closed in its entirety to the media, and that's because the Sun Devils held their first scrimmage, their first of three scrimmages this spring. The first two will be closed to the media, and then the spring game on April 15th will be open, and I know you and I are both looking forward to that opportunity to really evaluate the Sun Devils and see what they've got cooking up this spring. But this morning, Todd Graham did speak after the scrimmage, and one of the most important things that he revealed to us was that for the first time, he's talked about somewhat of a pecking order in the ASU quarterback competition. Uh, Not really a surprise because we have seen in the, the portions of practice we are able to observe that the guys who appear to be getting the most reps are uh, Manny Wilkins and Blake Barnett. You see the uh, 11 on air tempo period, which is basically like a two minute or one minute drill. And it's been pretty much every day. uh, Manny Wilkins with the ones, Blake Barnett with the twos. Um, Of course, Bryce Perkins is medically not cleared to be able to participate in a full scrimmage. Brady White isn't able to participate in a full scrimmage. Dylan Sterling Cole is the other guy who can, but there's been nothing really stated by Graham or Billy Napier that would indicate that Sterling Cole is taking that those types of opportunities at this point. Um, what I've been struck by from the post-practice comments, primarily Graham's talking about Manny Wilkins in, mm-hmm. in a positive way. He's, he's um, talked about his command of the offense. He There's been some uh, things that have been sort of... Um, um, hasn't really uh, meshed with kind of what we know to be the case because uh, this is a different offense and yet Graham has said that Wilkins seems to have the most command of the offense and yet the coordinator is somebody who was on the same staff as Blake Barnett was a quarterback last year and they're doing things that are much more in a um, Alabama type of a way um, in terms of their practice habits and I think even scheme is probably a little bit closer to what they were doing uh, that Blake Barnett's more familiar with. So so if you read the tea leaves on this, I think maybe you could come to the conclusion that at least as far as Todd Graham is concerned, that Manny Wilkins has made a little bit more of an impression. Uh, Graham talked about uh, turnovers. There's um, in the scrimmage that took place, there was uh, one interception by Blake Barnett. Graham said that Manny Wilkins had 100% ball security, no no turnovers. And um, he hasn't really um, provided that information in previous practices as to the delineation of who's turned the football over. But he has said that there's been an increased number of takeaways by ASU this spring. And so um, that would require some sort of speculation as to who's uh, turning the ball over. And another thing that we know to be true right now for ASU in the spring is that there is a philosophical shift taking place in terms of the offensive ideologies uh, that ASU had in 2016 and will have in 2017. Chip Lindsey brought in more air raid concepts to ASU's 11 personnel offense, whereas Billy Napier, former wide receivers coach at Alabama, 
has introduced more pro-style concepts for the Sun Devils, and that's something that Todd Graham also hit on in his post-practice comments, is really getting back to the run-oriented 11 personnel, often two-back approach that they used early in Mike Norvell's tenure as offensive coordinator. And I think that it's also a bit telling that Graham has continually said when he's talked about getting back to that approach that ASU wants, a run-oriented scheme. He said early in Norvell's tenure, the early years of what they did at ASU, because ASU did stray from that in 2014 and 2015. Well, there there was um, some disconnect between Graham and Norvell as Norvell's uh, tenure as ASU's offensive coordinator unfolded uh, to the point where I think that those guys were not entirely in sync in the last one to two years of Norvell where Graham wanted much more of a run orientation, um, run play action pass is the, the phrasing he always uses, uh, opening things up via the run. Whereas at times Mike Norvell was, was more the opposite, almost spray the ball around the field in the passing game to try to then run the ball more successfully in the second half of games. Um, or, or even not necessarily at all run the run the ball that well. And it, it didn't really sit well with Graham, but then what was interesting is that he went with Chip Lindsey last year, a coach who clearly didn't feel any obligation to run the football if he didn't feel like it was working. And uh, a lot of quick game and trying to get the ball out quickly and not take sacks. And, and that was something that Graham wanted to see from Chip Lindsey uh, because he felt like Norvell, they were holding it too long. And, and uh, that Texas A&M game on the road in Houston where they took sacks. And he was really, in retrospect, expressed frustration about that. Um, but but then Graham also talks about um, wanting to incorporate the tight end more, um, wanting to be able to um, you know uh, protect and be able to take shots and things of that nature. So I think Graham has like this idea of what, uh, the best um, version of ASU's offense is and the last two or three years hasn't really been that and now he's hopeful that it's channeling back in that direction with Napier. I don't want to sidetrack too much here but you bring up that Texas A&M game and you remember Evan Goodman and Billy McGee getting beat off the edge at the tackle position and who was beating them off the edge? It was Miles, Miles Garrett, Garrett and Deshaun Hall. Deshaun Hall and that, that was arguably the top pass rush tandem in the country. I mean, we bring it up because we're a month from the NFL draft and Miles Garrett's going to be the number one pick. And and deservedly so. I mean, what he did at the combine, how he, how he ran at 278 pounds or whatever he was. It was not similar to what we saw at ASU's Pro Day. No, <laughs> no. And ASU, what, ASU gave up like eight sacks that day? Or I think something? it was nine. Nine sacks? Yeah. Um, and that's going to be a question for this team this mm-hmm. year is how they handle speed on the edge. And we talk a lot about that on the, the premium podcast, which also comes out this week. Yeah, we talk about ASU's tackles on the premium podcast and we go into a bit of detail about their development so far this spring. So that's something to look for if you're into the intricacies of the offensive line and what to expect uh, at those positions. The final takeaway from the scrimmage, though, Chris, for Todd Graham, and we'll play his uh, post-scrimmage audio in a few moments, but he did say that he thinks the defense is improving right now because it's giving up fewer big plays, which is something that every ASU fan wants to hear and probably needs to hear. We're going to need to actually see to verify that. Yes. Uh, and um, But part of this is is no doubt 
due to Phil Bennett's addition and what they're trying to do to make things a little bit easier on their secondary. And we're, in, we're interested in, in, in seeing a lot of that uh, as a practical matter, but we speculated somewhat based upon what the feedback we've received from ASU players in the premium side, which I think is really important and um, essential to uh, ASU's chance to be an improved football team this year, right? But um, how much of this, Kerry, is attributable to uh, not having a quarterback be able to take advantage of ASU's secondary um, or just what where they're at offensively overall as they um, as they slide to a new sort of uh, offense and they try to get everything installed as much as they possibly can. And it's more about uh, getting everything in the, their package than it is about maybe uh, f- being able to really uh, fluently execute it. So we've dissected Todd Graham's post-scrimmage comments. Here's your opportunity to do so. For the next five minutes, we'll play Graham's post-scrimmage media availability, and you can hear exactly what he had to say on the Sun Devils' performance in their first scrimmage of the spring on Wednesday. When we come back, we'll be talking ASU basketball, the addition of Daquan Lake. We'll talk about what he brings to the Sun Devils, and we'll also talk a bit of ASU baseball and Barry Bonds. So I know you got to watch the film, but anything jump out at you? Yeah, I, I liked our guys competed. I liked I liked the uh, the energy. Um, uh, thought we did some nice things, uh, uh, you know, running football and and, and defense. Uh, uh, I thought I thought that was basically the one. We had some explosive plays, went back and forth. Uh, but I thought how the guys competed. It was it was it was uh, uh, probably went about fifty. Plays. I think we went 50 plays with the ones, 50 plays with the twos, all ones against ones, twos against twos, and then we had about 20 plays with the threes. So pretty long scrimmage, and uh, guys competed and went well. How are guys doing with just getting lined up properly and being able to? Yeah, yeah, it, it's it, it's it, you know we're, we're our tempo is a little bit slower than where we want it to be, but that's expected. You know, they're, 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 they're a lot a lot of volumes of what we're we put in. You know, and. Uh, uh, you know, we, we returned to a lot of the things that we did, you know, before uh, when Coach Norvell was here, or our first couple of years, uh, as far as, um, you know, uh, uh, our runs and, and, and play actions and nakeds and, and a lot more, uh, uh, you know, uh, 11 personnel and, and two back sets. So we've got, got some install on them, and then. Uh, just uh, getting used to it. a little bit of thing today. Hand the ball to official. The ball's not getting spotted because they're letting the ball on the ground. Guys that, just, that, that are newcomers that hadn't been here. But tempo is a deal. 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 We, we it'll, it'll continue to increase, but uh, we got to get we got to get our tempo going better than it was today. What uh, can you tell us anything about the quarterbacks at all? How they look? Are you good? <laughs> anything I mean, more? Uh, uh, they. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Manny uh, and uh, Blake got the majority of, of the reps uh, with the ones, and uh, uh, both those guys did a good job. Uh, I think we had, uh, I think, I, I think, I think uh, we had one one turnover. I think uh, Blake had an interception. I, I think Manny was 100% uh, on ball security. So, 
and uh, and obviously I, I thought you know Manny has such a command of what we're doing. You know, he knows our offense and he understands how to operate it, and he just controls cadence. He does a lot of things that. Uh, uh, but I, I, I liked how he operated. We can tell that he's a veteran. And then uh, uh, you know uh, uh, you know Blake did some nice things. Had some nice throws. Uh, we had some explosive plays uh, in there, uh, and we were fairly clean. So you know you know few. Few uh, procedure penalties, uh, uh, you know, one offsides. I think we had a hands to the face, uh, so so a lot better than, than 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 you would expect in the first scrimmage as far as penalties. But uh, you know, I thought our quarterbacks did good. I thought Dylan did good when he was in there, and then obviously Bryce can't go. Uh, he's not cleared to, to go, so he couldn't participate in the scrimmage. What about hitting on big plays versus giving up big plays? Uh, I thought our defense uh, was was marked, marked marked improvement in that area. Why do you think that was? Because today they didn't give up a lot. I thought I thought, it, I thought today the defense won won the scrimmage. If I was declaring a winner, so uh, you know that's one of the things our big focus is the same things we've had as far as the TFLs, the sacks, and, and being aggressive and all that. But uh, uh, they did a nice job. I think we I think we were marked improved as far as uh, uh, where you know what we wanted to get done to this point we're on we're on target to to, to reach uh, where we want to be by the end of spring still got a lot of improvement a lot of work to do but we're, we're better because we're giving up less big plays how important is a day like today from a signaling standpoint for offense and defense to make sure that your coaches are able to get that that's, that's the whole thing it's just communications a little bit slower you know whenever you're uh, um, the first time kind of out there you know and uh, 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 so, but that was good. So we had our coaches in the box, and you know we we did all that stuff. Uh, the defense will put in their sub packages and do do that for the next scrimmage. They they all the defense coaches were on the field. Uh, they wanted to just get get a rep at really you know coaching their guys and going over how we do the sideline things like that. And then next next the next scrimmage we'll uh, put them all up, be make it as game like as possible. We have Phil on the field during the season. Hmm? Will you have Phil on the field during the season? Yeah, I think I think that's what he's going to do. All right, back here on the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Chris, ASU basketball with a big addition this week. The Sun Devils pick up a commitment from a six foot ten center out of Western Iowa, Daquan Lake. He chose Arizona State over offers from Kansas State and Rutgers. You had a chance to catch up with Daquan Lake recently and hear why he chose. Uh, to continue his college basketball career with the Sun Devils. So this is a player ASU started recruiting last summer. They, of course, have known that they need a big infusion of size. And um, Daquan Lake was a junior college uh, big, 6'10". He tells us he's about 240 pounds, um, averaged over seven rebounds and uh, around 10 points a game last year for Western Iowa. That's a suburb of, of Omaha. Uh, his his final three was Rutgers, Kansas State, and ASU, but he actually only officially visited ASU before coming to the conclusion that's where he wanted to be. Lake is um, was in high school in Virginia before he was at uh, Western Iowa, and originally he's from the U.S. Virgin Islands, his mother and two older brothers came to the United States when Lake was an uh, early teenager. 
Um, originally, he was playing to be a baseball player, but he grew from six foot as a, as an eighth grader to six six by the time he was a junior. Now six ten. There's very little film to go around on Daquan Lake, and, and not much out there online. Um, seems to be somebody who can is a, a mobile big. He can run the floor. Uh, a guy that drops off and finishes around the basket well. He, you can probably lob it to him. He plays above the rim. Um, and he's a, a presence on the defensive end, somebody who can contest shots, rebound the basketball, has good length. Uh, the questions are more so what's his offensive skill look like? Is he, is he going to be able to play with his back to the basket at all? Does he have uh, mid-range shot-making ability, short drives? Can he take you off the bounce? Uh, and then uh, what about defensively? How does he handle coverages with ball screens on the perimeter, step out and be able to defend in some of those things? Now, ASU has uh, a, a major need for size, and that's even with the, the um, uh, returning players on the roster who played last year. Yeah, let's let's look at this ASU roster right now. Of course, Daquan Lake is the fourth edition of this class, and the spring signing period is April 12th, so this technically maxes out uh, ASU's roster. However, the Sun Devils may not be done adding to the roster, Chris, and I'll let you get to that in just a moment, but when you look at the way this roster is going to be composed in 2017, you've got three seniors, three senior guards, Shannon Evans, Trey Holder, and Cody Justice. Daquan Lake is a junior college transfer, will enter as a junior. You look at the sophomore on ASU's roster, Andre Adams, Ramon Vila, and then Jethro Shumpa, and then of course the addition of uh, Mickey Mitchell, he's the transfer from Ohio State, a pair of redshirt freshmen in Romello White and Vitaly Scheibel, and then the true free, the three true freshmen we just mentioned in Remy Martin, Kamani Lawrence, and Kenny Wooten to go along with Daquan Lake. Right, so ASU, of course, loses Obi Oleka. He was their key front court player last year. Played out of position, really more of a stretch four or even a big small forward. Um, ASU returns or is scheduled to return three guys who were freshmen last year and, and played um, in the front court, and that's um, Ramon Vila, um, who was a limited use guy, but somebody who was like their seventh, eighth man. Uh, a little undersized and not that athletic, 6'8". And then you had uh, Andre Adams, who had coming off of two ACL injuries, redshirted initially at ASU. And then you have Jethro Shasumpa, a player who was suspended for the last month and a half or so of the season after getting in trouble with the coaching staff when they were on the road in between the Washington and Washington State game. Now, as you correctly said there, Kerry, ASU technically has 13 uh, guys um, with remaining eligibility now committed to their roster for next year. However, um, our sources are telling us that they're continuing to recruit the 2017 class and that there's a good chance, a very good chance, in fact, that one or more of ASU's returners will not be back. The most likely guys would be um, Shisumpa, uh, Shisumpa, I should say, primarily because he's already been suspended for the last month and a half and not being back. And then um, if they if they went to another guy, it'd probably be another one of their returning bigs because um, 
uh, what they're doing now is they're they're really adding a lot of size. Um, we know that they had the, the Mitch, Mitchell set out last year. He's like a six six to six seven combo forward. But then even more importantly, Romello White was probably their best post player last year. But he had an academic red shirt, six foot eight, and live bodied, a lot of energy. He's going to step into a really big role right away. And then uh, Vitali Scheibel tore his ACL last year in August, and he missed the season. But uh, he's a six nine stretch four man. Probably will play. Um, somewhat similar to Obi Aleka, although not probably be able to get you that kind of rebounding uh, initially uh, on the defensive end of the floor. But then ASU also now adds uh, Daquan Lake, six foot ten, junior college player. They wouldn't be adding him unless they expected him to play right away. And then they have Kenny Wooten, who will be a freshman next year. He's six eight and, and a power forward who can also play the center position, uh, runs the floor well, pretty good athlete. Uh, another guy who can finish above the rim and, and rebound and defend and all that. And then um, they have a bigger wing in Kamani Lawrence, who is like about a 6'6", small forward. So they're, they're, they have a, the ability to really upgrade um, their their size and their depth in the front court to pair with the key returning nucleus in the, the backcourt and, and wing which is Trey Holder, Shannon Evans, and Cody Justice. Of course, all three of those guys are seniors um, in the in the coming year. So as you said, we know that ASU is continuing to recruit in the 2017 class, and there's two possible ways the Sun Devils could add to the class at this point. ASU could, of course, take on a transfer, very common in college basketball. The Sun Devils looking at perhaps a post-grad transfer who could be eligible immediately at the post or wing positions. Some, some of those names will become more clear in the next month or so as the NCAA tournament winds down, the Final Four finishes up, and players have a firmer understanding of where they stand in their uh, programs moving forward. Another uh, potential transfer option whose name has been uh, floating around a little bit is Duke transfer Chase Jeter wants to get back to the West Coast. So Jeter would obviously have to sit out because he's only a sophomore right now. He'd have to sit out a full year, but he could and eventually find a program and then play two years. Right. So there, there, there's a couple different ways ASU can go here. Um, one option is um, if they felt like they were content with their roster, who was going to be able to play, they could take a guy like Jeter who has to sit out a year and then have two years of eligibility. He was a five-star, 6'10", uh, had some injury problems this past year at Duke. But you have, of course, the Shashevsky bobby Hurley connection. Uh, ASU already had uh, uh, Eric Botang, who successfully transferred from Duke as a former McDonald's All-American to ASU. Uh, Jeter is from Vegas, so that's a, a proximity thing that makes sense for ASU, UNLV, some of these other schools in the Pac-12. Um, and ASU's had some pretty good success with the guys who have had to sit out a year and then be able to play. Then, of course, there's um, uh, postgraduate transfers. That, that, that'll start populating the marketplace here in the next few weeks. I think we'll get a lot more names um, by the end of April, early May. You'll probably have some visitors. I think ASU would be in the marketplace for somebody like that. Um, and then uh, they could also take not just a, a, a big who would be um, you know, sitting out this year or playing immediately, but they could take a wing who they like who could be an impact player 
uh, as a postgrad transfer, as a guy who would sit out a year, or even a high school wing. And and the the most prominent name that we've heard is Devonte Dutrive. He's from the uh, the L.A. San Fernando Valley, six four. He recently was bumped up to a four star, top one hundred type of a prospect. Keep in mind when you look at this ASU roster now, it's starting to become. Uh, a little bit gluttonous with size as opposed to the perimeter play in particular when you get uh, closer to that point guard shooting guard position because you do have Remy Martin who's going to join the program and be that backup to Shannon Evans and Trey Holder at that one or two position this year but those are really your only options there those other two guys depart um I think ASU would like to have a combo guard. There's some other names that we're hearing that we can't really put out just yet, but but they may be something that we can release in the next podcast or two. Um, but I, I really do think that at a minimum uh, in the 2018 class, this is projecting a little bit further carry, but they're going to really want to, to hammer uh, their perimeter uh, uh, um uh, options with uh, ASU losing Evans, Holder, and Justice. Well, it's fascinating to see the way the roster has turned over at ASU since Bobby Hurley replaced Herb Sendek. And with Hurley scheduled to enter his third season for 2017-2018, this is really the first time that ASU can legitimately say entering the season that it's got a case to make a push for an NCAA tournament. So when you, you look at the Pac-12, you look at ASU's roster, and you look at the way things have shaped out historically – Chris, where does ASU have to finish? What should the goal be for the Sun Devils if they're hoping to make that NCAA tournament push? Well, this is the key thing, and, and fans are no doubt really sort of anxious about the opportunity to see ASU play in the tournament again. I fully understand that. You have some uh, fans who really think that this is a team that has the talent to accomplish that. I think that's still not all the way there yet. I think that's still in debate. And, um, Shannon Evans, Trey Holder, Cody Justice, pretty good uh, core nucleus, but Cody Justice was actually below the average per among starters in the Pac-12 for his position. So he's more of a, in a perfect setting, probably more like a sixth, seventh, eighth type of a guy. And how much of an impact are these new guys going to be able to give ASU in the front court? And I say especially Romello White, Mickey Mitchell, um, uh, maybe like, uh, Kamani Lawrence or Kenny Wooten uh, and, and Daquan Lake. What are the, what are they, how much are they going to be able to give ASU? Um, I did a comparison. I looked at USC's roster this season. That was a team that had to play, win a play in game basically in that first, you know, that preliminary round of the tournament to be able to get into the first round. How good was that roster compared to ASU's roster this year or what ASU's roster ne- will be next year? I think USC was clearly better. Uh, USC had, um, six or seven players that had per ratings of 17 or higher. Uh, Boatwright, Metu gives you a really solid one-two. In the front court, they had good perimeter play. And that that still was a very, like, right on the border, you know, bubble type of a team at, U- at USC. And what I think we need to say here in, in talking about this is, even though, of course, UCLA is going to lose probably their three best players to the to the NBA draft. 
Um, I, there's um, you have a top five pick, obviously, in uh, their point guard who's leaving. Um, what's his name? Lonzo uh, Ball. Lonzo Ball. You have T.J. Leaf who probably departs as a first rounder. You have Andy Bogu who's a post player who probably is a first round. Don't pick. forget Bryce Alford's graduated. And He's Bryce out of Al- eligibility. One of their all time league scorers and three point shooters, right? But UCLA always reloads. They have a great recruiting class coming in. Um, where they're at right now with their program, I don't see them dropping out of NCAA tournament uh, competition. Uh, Arizona will lose Markinen and uh, will lose one of their better wing players, but their talent is still going to be really good, and I don't see them really dropping off. Uh, they probably return three of their best five players. Uh, you look at Oregon. Oregon probably loses Dylan Brooks. I mean, I'm assuming he probably goes. It doesn't really matter who Oregon loses because Dana Altman is such a good coach. And, and by he, and, he can get them to the tournament. And 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 by the way, um, their backcourt was really terrific in uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, we saw um, them really kind of turn the corner in that respect. And uh, as you said, they're extremely well coached. So I, I look at um, Oregon's team, and I think that they'll probably still be among the best in in the in the Pac-12 next year. Tyler Dorsey kind of really came into his own and um, had a great tournament. He's only a sophomore. I don't think he's leaving. Um, so so the the point here, the key thing is that in a typical year, you're going to have four or five Pac-12 teams make the tournament. Uh, there's no reason to think that. Arizona, UCLA, Oregon will drop out of that range. They may, you may see uh, UCLA backslide some. You may even see possibly see Oregon backslide some, but not enough to go from a two seed to being out of the tournament. I just really think that's doubtful. So that means that ASU is competing with USC and some of these other programs. Utah, off U- the top of my yeah, head. Utah makes a lot of sense. Uh, you could possibly see um, a resurgence from. Uh, Stanford or Cal was close this last year, even though Cal will lose maybe their two best players and is, is transitioning to a no coaching staff. It's not, you know, it, it's going to be tough. You know, Colorado is a well-coached team and, and, and could potentially be there, but USC is not going to really backslide that much with their talent. So I think that the top four is still the top four in the league. ASU is probably going to compete, be competing for fifth. They have a pretty good non-conference schedule. And are they going to be good enough to to be an NCAA tournament team? I don't know, but I think that at best they're a bubble type of a team. So it should be a fascinating season to watch. And as we've mentioned throughout the offseason so far for ASU, we'll keep you up to date on the Sun Devils roster composition. Changes so frequently in college basketball. Changes happen every day in and around the conference, in and around the country, so it's something to watch. And, of course, those transfers and grad transfer possibilities will be intriguing to follow as well. Chris, final piece of news on this podcast for this week. Barry Bonds dropped by Phoenix Municipal Stadium on Tuesday evening ahead of a Sun Devils home matchup with UNLV, and the program was able to honor Bonds uh, with a new Adidas Baseball Heritage Collection jersey that I guess was constructed based on old logo styling from the Bonds era, and I was out there on Tuesday evening. Those uniforms looked very cool. I think it's one of the, the best things that Adidas has done so far for Arizona State. There's been a lot of feedback to that effect, and and it, the last time that Barry Bonds attended an ASU baseball game, uh, I think I'm, I actually may have been there, and it was a long time ago. I'm talking like 
15 years ago. Oh, he threw out a first pitch three years ago. Oh, he did? Yeah, Packard okay. Stadium. For I sure. missed it then. Yeah. So <laughs> other than that, <laughs> other than that, obvious throw out a first pitch. Um, but no, this this it's it's a good thing to see Barry Bonds sort of move back toward to being more engaged mm -hmm. with ASU. There was a long period of time, you know, he went through a lot of the, you know, the the scrutiny of the rumors and and uh, people speculating about the legitimacy of some of the things that he accomplished. And I think that he just didn't really want to be, you know, that involved in that um, or draw attention at some of those things. So we kind of stepped out of the spotlight in some of those areas. I missed that he threw out the first pitch. I apologize three years ago, but this was the first time that he had a really, that he actually spoke with media, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, would he shed some light on some of the, the, the relationships and his moments that he had at ASU, Jim Brock, yeah, he was so close with Jim Brock, and, and that was readily apparent when you were talking with Bonds yeah. uh, when we had the opportunity to do so on Tuesday evening. Bonds' mother and Jim Brock's wife are still very close friends. I had heard that previously, now that you say that. I was kind of struck by how different Bonds looks now <laughs> as he kind of is going, you know, he's in a uh, middle-aged man and he's in yeah. a different you know place, but uh, you can tell that, you know, because, you know, when he entered that, uh, Major League Baseball. He wasn't a big guy. Not at all. You know, he was like a hundred and eighty something pound guy. Coming off a thirty steal season at ASU. Still had a lot of power. You know, obviously when he was younger, but uh, then he went through that that intense physical transformation uh, where he, you know, that that were, drew a lot of you know speculation about it in, in an era that you know is, is going to be marked by a lot of um, questions about kind of what was going on. But uh, but now he looks. And he's he's you know not skinny or thin by any respect, but he looks like he's kind of going you know going back to being a leaner, you know smaller guy. And and you said that he talked about some of the things that he's doing now to stay in shape. Um, now that he's uh, been away from baseball for yeah, a while. Yeah, I know, I know he's big into cycling. Uh, he's done that for many years since he retired from baseball, but. Right now, he, he's really getting back into the game. Last year, he was the Marlins hitting coach, and this year he's got uh, a new role with the San Francisco Giants where he's a special assistant to team CEO Larry Bear. So Bonds is getting back into baseball, and he said that he really enjoyed watching the college game from the seats. He's a big fan of the college game, and he offered a very interesting take on playing college baseball versus going straight to the minor leagues out of high school. And this is something that has really hurt Arizona State in recent years because you look at the way Tim Esme recruited and a little bit of the way that Tracy Smith recruited to the program the Sun Devils have had so many players um, frankly just go straight to the pros out of high school that they had committed to ASU one of the the biggest names is Eric Hosmer mm -hmm. who was uh, Kansas City Royals first baseman uh, just one of the best hitters in the major leagues Hosmer was an ASU commit and you look all around the major leagues. I, I mean, the A-list names that were ASU commits in the minor leagues as well is staggering. Yeah. And so to hear Bonds make that pitch to play college baseball, to come experience uh, what that's like, I thought was really interesting. And I, I can't help but wonder if now that he's taken a more active role in the game after taking a few years off, if ASU continues to try to foster that relationship and try to get him to to speak on behalf of the program. Well, I have a question for you, but I, I think I just want to say at first that um, the with regard to the baseball recruiting component, the the the, the, the class you sign and the class you enroll is obviously quite a bit different, oh. and the strategy involved in that is very intense. But um, 
you were out there and, and listening to Bonds, and I think you get a, a, a better sense in person than you, than you do watching the video or whatever. But do, do you do, was your perception of it at all that he's in this phase of his life now where he's coming back to, to uh, helping guys out in the, at the major league level and coaching and talking to, after ASU that he's in this image revitalization period that that could. Uh, eventually lead to him trying to become a major league manager or something along those lines? Absolutely. I mean, he was a hitting coach last year. I'm not sure if he'll go for a managerial type role, um, but I know he's been a special assistant in spring trainings before, and something that really struck him last night was Greg Maddox was the pitching coach for UNLV, and he, he did not expect to see Greg Maddox there. He's a great friend of his, said some of his best battles were against Maddox. In fact, it's the pitcher he had the most career at bats against, and so to see Greg Maddox involved in the college game was something that was clearly really impactful on Barry. Greg Maddox is probably my favorite pitcher in the last couple decades, and I say that because his stuff should oh. ha- should not have enabled him to be that good but but the way that he out was able to outthink the opponent and locate the ball um i don't think anybody's been better at that in in recent decades and i'm not saying his stuff was bad his stuff was good obviously but not like a lot of other guys and yet um he, it just uh what he was able to do mentally i think elevated the position and 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 also just his ability to locate the ball. You know, um, I, I I loved watching those guys go at it, and uh, wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. So it was definitely an interesting night out at Phoenix Municipal Stadium. The Sun Devils ended up with a come from behind victory, five four win. Connor Higgins threw four and a third innings of shutout relief ball, no hits allowed. So the Sun Devils now eleven and twelve. Trying to foster those relationships with the alumni, it's so important. We talk about it all the time on the Sun Devil Source Sanctuary Board. There's always uh, fans who are interested in seeing ASU's football program and basketball program celebrate its alumni, bring them back in roles where they can have input in the program and can help assist the players who are currently in the program. And so if ASU is able to strike up a meaningful relationship with Barry Bonds, it's certainly something that the program will be very interested in. No doubt. And... My apologies to Barry Bonds for missing his uh, throwing out the first pitch three years ago, but <laughs> no, but yeah, I, um, I, I think I, I think obviously to ASU fans, he's like one of the f- rarest icons that you have, and, and um, so the opportunity for him to be more connected to the program is something that everyone's going to relish. Well, that will do it for this week's episode of the Sun Devil Source Report. We're going to leave you with the audio from Bonds post uh or well it was before he threw out the first pitch last night he had an opportunity to speak with the media and share his thoughts on what it meant to be honored by the sun devils and to come back and see the new digs at phoenix muni that asu moved into in 2015 that'll do it for this week's show for sun devil source publisher chris cartman i'm your host Kerry crowley thanks so much for tuning in and here's barry bonds Oh, it's special. Anytime you get to come back to your old automata, it's awesome. You know, it's nothing better than that. Nothing. You know, it's nice playing baseball as a kid and then being able to come back, you know, I go back to my high school or be able to come back to your college to be recognized. It's, it's always going to be special. Did you get the chance to walk around campus today and see a little bit? Jeez, I had never seen anything like this before. Uh, this this place in here is better than some major league stadiums. 
their locker room. I was like dying. I, we had a trailer when I was going to school here. We all dressed in a little trailer and walked over. And then we had to go to the activity center to get most of our stuff at that time. But this is nice. This is special. It's, it's a beautiful place. Have you had a chance to talk to any of the guys on the team? If so, what no, was I just got here. I just walked in. You guys attack first. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just walked in, just got here. So I'm going to go talk to them a little later. Uh, what, what's some of your message probably going to be for those, some of those guys? I don't know yet. We'll see how the conversation goes. <laughs> hey, Barry, do you have a relationship with Hunter Bishop being from Sarah? From where? Be Hunter Bishop, because you're from Sarah too. Do you guys have any relationship? No, no, no. I, don't, I, I go back to Sarah every once in a while, but I don't go back that often. I'm always roaming around my own kids now. So. But I keep in contact with everyone, all my old teachers and stuff. And most of them are retired now, though. But once you're a Sarah boy, you're a Sarah boy for life. We all stick together. Are there any memories from your time here that really stand out to you? Or? Oh, yeah, all my years. With Brock and having Odeby and Devereaux and Medina and Wakamatsu and all of the guys. It's uh, Todd Brown, I can go on and on. Doug Henry, Charles Scott, I, there's a whole list of them. <laughs> Um, they, they also had good careers too, so it's, it, we had good years, really good years. We were a good team. You know, since I was a freshman, we were a really good team. And then, obviously, this is a program that's produced a lot of big league talent, but to have someone such as yourself, what does that say for just the program as a whole? Well, I, I came here because of Reggie Jackson and Alvin Davis, my family members, and, you know, I you know, always knew about Arizona State and the tradition, and, you know, it, it speaks for itself. I mean, when you, you come to a, you know, great weather all the time, you know, great baseball community out through Arizona, you know, they, they produce good baseball players in Arizona, period. You know, football and stuff too as well. So, you know, it's good to just be a part of it with the whole group. You know, I don't think I stand out any more than anyone else. If you if you get your name on that board, you're, you're, you know, it's just getting your name on the board. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think that I'm above anyone else on that board. We're all in that together. I think college is way better than getting dropped out of high school. I don't think you're ready. I, I, I didn't do it. I don't really recommend it. I think the, the life obstacles that you need to go through and, and just growing within the game itself, I think college experience is the way to go. Um, you have a little more margin for error. You're, you know, you can find yourself a little bit. You go to the, you know, unless you're exceptional, you're a special kid. That's great, but you know, in, in the minor leagues, you got to learn a lot quicker, and sometimes you're not as ready or prepared. And at the same time, you know, those opportunities only come once, and you, you know, giving up your college experience to just do that, and then now have to go back to school really fast. I don't know. I'd rather go the college route. What kind of went through your mind when you found out age was going to have a night honoring you like there tonight? Oh, I was excited. I'm really excited to see Greg Maddox, the best pitcher in the world. <laughs> I didn't know he was going to be out here, so this is this is a good reunion for me. What was your favorite memory here playing baseball at ASU? Did you have one specific one that stood out over the rest? I think when we beat Oklahoma State that year, when you had the, I think it was the Houston basketball team with the five slam pajamas for Clyde Trexton, and then you had Oklahoma State that had their level fives, and we beat them 23 to 12. I think that was because they were the dominant team at that time with Pete Cabilla and all of them, and they were hard to beat. And when we came in that, that, that series, that was pretty special.
talk about Coach Brock, what, what jumps out at you the most about thinking, remembering him? Well, we had the same birthday, so we had the same attitude. <laughs> he's, he's a good coach, man. And, and I love it because his wife and my mom are still great friends this day. They travel together and, you know, on trips together. So we've been really close, you know, ever since I've ever been in college. And, and Coach Brock and I have always been close, all the way to the end. I think the last time you were at ASU, I think your mom and Pat were both there, if I remember right. Yeah, my mom and... Miss Brock, they're together all the time. Uh, she's part of the family. Well, we're part of her family because I came here, so we've been family forever. You mentioned Greg Maddox. Do you remember any uh, particular matchups <laughs> with Greg Maddox? A lot of them because he was the best. Best technician I've ever seen in the game of baseball. Best. Really good. Very smart guy. IQ off the chart. Being in Arizona, working with the Giants now, is it nice just getting to be back in Arizona for spring baseball? Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, this is where I belong. I'm, you know, it's good that you get to come to spring training in the same place you went to college. Now, how many chances do you get to do that? So that's pretty good, too. So to be able to have both of them at the same time is pretty special. And is your love for baseball still there the same way it was when you were in college or when you were on the Giants? Yeah, it's just better in the seats. <laughs> Not on the field, no. I don't have that kind of love anymore. But in the seats, I love it. It's great. What do you think about the level of play in college baseball back when you played and right now? It, I mean, the game changes. The baseball's baseball. I, I think they have a, a lot more technology than we had, but the game's the same. I think the level of playing is the same, you know. You're going to get those exceptional players. You're going to see those exceptional pitchers, you know, and you're going to see that turntable forever. You know, um, each generation is going to come, and then you're, there's somebody else going to come along and excite people just as we did. So I, I don't really see too much difference. I'd like to see them use wooden bats a little bit more. That would be one thing I'd like to see because I think that would be a better preparation for them to, for their transition into the – to the major leagues or minor leagues, and that, that I'd like to see more of. Barry, what does it mean to you to have an impact on this younger generation and working with players? I can't hear you, what? What does it mean to have an impact on this younger generation, like when you're working in Miami with the, with the younger ball players, and then what you're doing now in your role? How does that feel, how does that feel for you? Well, it, it feels good. I mean, anytime somebody wants your input on something, you got to feel good about it. Um, you know, I. I look at it this way, you know, I went to school in baseball and I mastered it and now I have my PhD and it's my turn to teach. And then sooner or later, they'll get theirs and they'll be teaching. Um, as long as you can bring something to the table and help the kids out, that's what you're supposed to do. That's all. There's nothing more, nothing less. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Barry.